Hi, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phil McAleer. Welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. It is week 103 of the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. And in fact, if you think about it, next week is 104, week 104, which will be two years. And I think it might be fair to say that we need to stop counting because it may be just over. Because in the two most restrictive places in America, which New we York haven't, City, and we happen to live in one of them, and we happen to live in one of them, New York City and LA County, basically everything has been lifted. All of the restrictions have been lifted. Um, except for I think there's still Magda, I'm just going to look at Magda here for this. Schools, are skills, schools, have they stopped wearing masks in schools here? But basically most of the, most of the restrictions have been lifted. And that's just, you know, in movie theatres, in shopping, you know, attending school, working out, uh, all that kind of stuff. You're not going to need masks and you're not going to need vax passports. But I have to say this past weekend, it's been kind of interesting. I was in Costco, I was in Trader Joe's and I was in Ralph's. And there are a very sizable number of people still hanging on to masks. And we were in a playground at the weekend on Saturday with our favourite four-year-old. And incredibly, we, we witnessed, I, I think most people, in fairness, I'm looking at Magda, most people, I think, in fairness, in that playground were not wearing correct, masks. Correct. However, we did spot one cool dude dad, real cool dude dad. And kind, that doesn't narrow it down much around here. Not around here, no, exactly. With this little darling two-year-old, and Magda and I both assessed the child as being two years old, wearing these huge, massive masks. And I looked at it and thought... How horrible, how nutty. And I was thinking the dad, I would hazard a guess, he probably has two two PhDs, probably one of them in feminist studies, by the way. But anyway, there he was with his two PhDs, probably, you know, earning a fortune or whatever. And you know what? All the education he got made him really stupid because I'm thinking, you know, the child is out there playing by the beach, by the way, on plan air, you know, right in the nice air mm-hmm. around the place. Unbelievable, really horrible. And then just... To look at the kind of big picture across the country. So Twitter is opening its offices starting March the 15th. Google employees can go back to their offices April 4th. Apple has told workers that they can go to the office one day a week starting April 11th and two times a week, three, t- three weeks later. But a lot of economists, and this is from the, the Morning Brood uh, newsletter, basically economists have estimated that three quarters of the increase in telework during COVID will continue past the pandemic. Um, and a lot of what, what they're actually saying as well, that about 60% of US workers with jobs that can be done from home say that given the choice, they prefer to work from home. I know. And one of the things that they're saying, which I think is interesting, is that it's got, for people looking to get employees, to attract employees, yeah. allowing employees to work remotely is actually going to be a big selling point. Look, 99% of employees would love not to work at all and well, that's, well that, that's you know, also so, true I yes. mean and yes. I don't know if it's 99% though Willem. I think I think you've got that statistic wrong exactly so um, not that I don't love work God I love work I'm the exception <laughs> I just love it I'm like Monday mornings it just just unleash me on it. You know what I mean? You know that kind of way, you know? Some of you lazy ones out there now, you know? That's not me. Not at all. No. Remember that company that decided to rename itself Monday? No, I don't yes, know that. Was, what, that didn't last? No, it lasted about a week. They rebranded, spent millions rebranding themselves, calling themselves Monday. Price Waterhouse Coopers uh, decided to rebrand itself as, as Monday. For a week. For a week. Yeah. <laughs> until Monday. Until they, realized, until they realized exactly how unpopular the word Monday was yes. and how it engenders rather negative feelings in people. Well, By I, the way, talking of which, can I just mention a thing? I have a, quite a number. I'm getting to that age where a lot of people I know are retiring. I thought especially you say a lot of people I know are dying, but I know. No, a lot of people I know in Europe are re- retiring. And when you ask them, how is that? Their answer is uniformly the same. 
They say it's absolutely fabulous. Just mentioning that. Moving on, Philip. But they're in denial, Anne. They're not. Uh, they're in I, denial. No, no. They're saying every no, day. No, one they, particular friend of mine, she said every day you wake up and it's just so wonderful. She used to be a teacher. Off you go there, Philip. Tell us what's in the show today. What's on our show today? We have Mark Morano, who's the editor of Climate Depot, the, um, which is uh, the one-stop shop for all climate craziness. We're going to talk to him about Ukraine, gas, oil, and how we really, are really. funding the Putin we war talked machine. To him, we talked to him earlier and it's an amazing, it's amazing interview. What else is on the show? Uh, this is really getting stupid. Uh, dear America and dear world, um, what is with the ludicrous anti-Russian madness? And you know, you're demanding loyalty tests from uh, artists and sports people. This is America. Uh, we don't demand loyalty tests. We don't order people to denounce people in public before we give them jobs or let them do their art or let them do their work. We're going to look at, at the anti a really distasteful anti-Russian madness that seems to have uh, swept both corporate and art- the artistic world at the moment. And it even affects cats. So we'll look at that later on. And we're going to bring you a really great recipe that I made this past weekend. It has a lot of ingredients. I think it might be the recipe with the most ingredients I've ever made. But it's a great recipy. Um, and I, it actually yeah. is. It's a, it's a lovely... It, it, it makes me rethink salads. But I got an email from the Kirk Douglas Theatre up in Culver City. There. Oh, yes. Part of the Centre Theatre Group. And basically, you weren't, you weren't able to get in to see their art. Not only if you weren't vaccinated, but you had to be boosted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you had to be boosted. And it's like... So, you know, when they tell you they want to open the arts to the underprivileged and to the minorities and to all this and, you know, no, and, and that's why they're diversifying and that's why there's all these plays about racism and all. What they're really saying is we want our material to appeal to the white upper middle class because they are the people obsessed with racism uh, and, uh, and they have no interest in bringing uh, un- underprivileged or people from minorities into their theatre. And the reason you're saying that film is because, because there's a because, lot of because because there's a vax hesitancy. Vax among hesitancy is, is is among minorities, not you know, and so therefore they they are excluding uh, a large proportion of those minorities from the theatre. So, and by the way, you know, if you're going to go there, film, I think it's worth mentioning then that in fact the vaccination itself, the whole vaccination and booster program, was obviously discriminatory against minorities, right? Why? Well, apparently, if you have to show ID, that's discriminatory. Am I not right about oh, that? Funny. So also, if you have to show going to the Kirk Douglas Theatre, you need to show ID as so well. So if you have to show ID to get a vaccination, it's obviously discriminatory because that's the reason why people don't want anyone to show ID when they're voting. Mm-hmm. Um, voting is one thing, but getting a vaccination is even more serious. But you couldn't get a vaccination without showing ID. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't even get a cup of coffee without showing ID along with your vaccination. Well, you can't get in. Moving on. To the Kirk Douglas, you may have a vaccination certificate, but if you don't have ID, you won't get in either. So let's go over now to Mark Morano, the editor of Climate Depot. It's a great interview. We did it just before we came on air. Uh, This will bring home to you why Russia is able to invade Ukraine and how we helped, not we, as in the elites, uh, America, American policy helped fund Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Let's go over to that interview with Mark now. So welcome to the show, Mark. Mark Morano is the editor of Climate Depot, the one-stop shop for all your climate questions and the best place for all the facts that expose the current climate craziness that wants to end our golden age of fossil fuels. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Phelan. I'm happy to be here today. Appreciate it. So, Mark, if anyone goes to your site, climatedepot.com, the first thing they see is a link to the, and I want to read the exact title, it's a 2018 congressional report uh, entitled 
Russian attempts to influence and fund environmental groups to oppose fracking in Europe and the US. Uh, and I just want to add that if anyone had watched our 2013 documentary, they would have seen that we came to the same conclusions. Uh, but so why would Russia, you know, we're asking this in the context of the Ukrainian invasion, but I want to I'll come back to that later. But why would Russia want to fund Environmental uh, hippie, groups. hippie, environmental, anti-fossil fuel. Uh, well, know. maybe, maybe just the Russians are just those kind of like maybe they're just environmentalists. What explain maybe, it to us? Are Mark. they just nice people? Yeah, they're tree, they're tree huggers. That's yeah. what Putin's been known for. Always now, um, no, it's not because they're nice people. This was a 2018 report by the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology in the U.S. House of Representatives. And what the report found was essentially that the Russians have been fun funneling money through offshore corporations and passed on to U.S. environmental activist groups and with the intent of supporting European and United States uh, uh, environmental group goals of limiting European and American energy. They, they, wanted to, they wanted to fund efforts to cut down on fracking and oil and gas exploration and coal in both Europe and the United States. That's what Russia was interested in. And does the, does the Congressional Committee, did they have any idea like to what extent this, like how much money are we talking about here? That is a great question. You know, I, 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 there, there's probably, an, uh, it's hard to say, tens of millions or higher. That's one of the things they were looking at, but there's so many different shell corporations. I don't know that they actually put a direct quantification on it. But what's interesting about the report, Anne, was Hillary Clinton was actually quoted as saying, we at the state, when she was uh, the Secretary of State, we at the State Department were against Russian uh, pushing oligarchs and others to buy media and up against, quote, phony environmental groups. And Hillary goes on to say, I'm a big environmentalist, but these groups were funded by Russians to stand against any efforts against pipelines and other things. So even Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. was aware that the funding was going through creating what she called phony environmental groups. And can I just, and, and since this kind of revelation, and I mean, as, as Phelan said, we, we actually talked about this in, in Frack Nation. Uh, it's interesting to look at how successful those anti-fracking campaigns have been. Can you give us a picture of how successful they have been in terms of what oh. used to be in terms of natural gas production in Europe and what is now? And, and can you tell us, I think we need to also uh, uh, work out here, why would Russia be funding these groups? Yes, and I'll get to that. Okay, well, first of all, in Europe, you know, Germany used to have a, a many times higher levels of, of natural gas than Russia, and now it's flipped to where you know, Europe is about 40% dependent, 38% dependent on uh, Russia's, Russia's natural gas. All of Europe is near, uh, Germany is near 50% dependent. It's the point now where Vladimir Putin can determine by cutting off the oil supply to particularly Germany and others, he can create a recession. He has the power at this point, the way the trajectory, the higher the gas prices and oil prices and, and go, to actually be the number two economy behind Germany in, the, in Europe. And here's how the madness goes. In 2019, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was so gung-ho to virtue signal against fracking that he actually had two wells that could have provided 50 years of natural gas to Britain. In other words, they would have been energy independent. They poured concrete into those fracking wells as a motion to seal them up to, to show Europe and the Greens that Europe was that UK was committed 
to the net zero policies. And they actually poured concrete into fracking wells for, that would have provided 50 years of energy. And that's incredible. Boris, so, Boris Johnson, what an extraordinary disappointment. I have a quote here um, from, I think, I, I think it was from Reuters. 15 years ago, Europe exported more natural gas than Russia does today. I mean, extraordinary. And now Russia exports three times more gas. And we're just completely frightening the number of countries that are so vulnerable. You mentioned Germany, but also like Austria, 64% of their natural gas is coming from Russia. Places like, well, Finland is just like Finland is in an awful place. 94% of their natural gas. Uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, it's 100%. Macedonia, 100%. Moldova, well, Moldova, 100%. Um, but down to even France, 24% of their natural gas. So, the, I mean, just, just to put this in context, this is why there is no, uh, this is why there's a real reluctance to take on the Russian bear. And this is also why Putin is able to fund the war in Ukraine, right? It's because all this money every week, you know, Billions. oh, we're stopping visa transactions and we're stopping Apple Pay and you can't get Netflix or whatever it is. Europe is sending hundreds and hundreds of billions a month to Russia. And that is going directly to, it's got a double bind. It's going directly to fund the Ukraine invasion, but it also makes these countries completely reluctant to, to stand up to Russia because Russia has them over a barrel. And this is it. This is why Russia has been funding and supporting environmental groups, because they know that if Germany, the United States, England start, and all these other European nations say, we're not going to buy this oil, we're not going to buy this gas, what's going to happen? They're canceling the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. They're hurting themselves possibly more than they're hurting Putin at the moment. That, that's the thing. Putin at this point has nothing to lose. But we're talking if the United States gets 10% of its oil from Russia. We, by the way, in 2021, we hit a 11-year high for Russian oil imports in the United States. If we get 600,000 barrels a day currently of Russian oil. Here's the problem, is that if Joe Biden had, had, had literally... Uh, open, not done what he did his first day in office and then continued after that, but he shut down, obviously, you've heard it all, the Keystone Pipeline, yes. drilling on federal lands. He went after fracking, death of a thousand cuts. But one of the things people don't realize what the Biden administration has done is they've literally used an environment social governance style in our treasury department to start defunding fossil fuel energy projects. He has his treasury department set up. First of all, every cabinet agency is a climate agency under Biden. They're administering the Green New Deal through the administrative state, not a vote of Congress. There's no hearings, there's no debate. The Green New Deal hasn't passed Congress, but it's being implemented in the administrative state. And so what they've done is they've crippled the, not only our fossil fuels, but they've sent a signal to the marketplace and we all know how energy markets are all based on anxiety and future markets. And what Biden did is said, we're closed for business. And that's the problem. If we cut off Russian oil now, we could end up going into a recession a la 1970s Jimmy Carter that we haven't seen since the gas crisis of the 1970 and the long gas lines. Can so I, uh, can I just spend that to me? I, I'm not clear there, uh, Mark, what that means. So you're saying that we're dependent on Russian oil as well? Yeah, the 10% of oil we get, again, they're behind Canada and Mexico is Russia for US oil imports. It sounds great. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying there's a there's two sides to this coin. 
if we shut it, what that's going to do first off is send a signal to the market, even talking about shutting it off, which is what Blinken is now doing at the Biden administration. Oil just shot up, I think, another $15 a barrel just on the talk of it. But if we actually say we're not buying Russian imports, Russian oil imports, boom, gas, a barrel goes up, gas at the pump goes up. And I don't know how much more because that creates the inflationary cycle of all the trucks that deliver. Food prices are now 20, you know, year, year over year hitting records. I think it's 25 or more percent in America and other countries. We are risking all this. And again, how much is it going to hurt Putin? And how long will it take to hurt Putin? And does Putin hurt about, care about being hurt at the moment? I don't know. Uh, but it's something we have to consider. This is the problem. We put ourselves in this position from just, again, two years ago with Donald Trump's presidency, we were the world's largest oil and gas supplier. We had more energy exports than imports, more energy production than consumption for the first time since Harry S. Truman in 1952 was president. We started dismantling all that. And this is where we are a year into the Biden administration. It's devastating. That and the COVID lockdowns didn't help. And can you explain it? Um, so the XL pipeline was shut down. That whole project was shut down, which yes. the, what would it have done if it had happened? That Well, first of all, it, it, it wouldn't. Here's an important point And media matters jumps all over everyone. It still wouldn't have been pumping yet. But the, the idea is Biden canceled it. But first of all, it would send a signal to the marketplace initially that we're open. But eventually it, 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 the Canadian oil it's still gonna happen at some point through rail service and, and other things, but it's gonna be a much slower pump to get it down to the Gulf. Uh, that would have had a huge impact on natural gas flowed, first of all, not only in jobs, every Democrat labor union supported it. Democrat labor unions who supported both Hillary, Biden and Obama all endorsed this pipeline and railed against Obama and Biden for delaying and or canceling it. But this would have, this would have been huge because we would have been getting our, our natural gas from a and oil from a, a friendly democracy that has high environmental standards, i.e. Canada, instead of uh, other countries. And by the way, Israel had an East Med pipeline that they had a deal with Greece and the Trump administration greenlighted. Guess what happened in January? Biden administration killed a nearly 1,200 mile pipeline of natural gas from Israel to Greece that would have supplied many parts of Western Europe. This is the insanity we're living. And by the way, the answer for that from the Biden State Department when we pressed was they had to go green. This is back in January. We found it in documents. A State Department official said, we're canceling this Israeli pipeline, same reason as the Keystone XL pipeline, because we need to go green in our net zero goals uh, for Europe and the United States. This is the insanity in which we're facing right now with the Biden administration. Is there any hope at all that people, we were just talking about this before we started the interview, is there any hope at all that people will learn from this? Um, are you at all optimistic that there might be anyone would learn um, about the importance of producing our own energy? No, it's a great question. And here's my analogy. And look at what happened with the defund the police movement from uh, what was that um, less than two years you went from not only defund the police but abolish the police and then we saw that experiment play out in real time it's easy to say defund and abolish the police you know when you're there and the police departments are already in existence but then you start seeing it happen in real action you see what happens in san francisco and seattle and chicago and new york and washington less than two years later democratic president joe biden is on the floor of the united states telling the state and the State of the Union saying we can no longer, we need to fund the police. And you see Kamala Harris stand up and applaud and Democrats stand up and applaud. That's a complete policy reversal. Mm -hmm. So what I think could happen, and this is the hopeful message here, 
for a decade plus. And I remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger was in California and he passed his big climate bill. I said, this is so easy for someone like Schwarzenegger. He gets all the virtue signaling. He gets all the pats on the back, the environmental groups, the media, everyone loves him, Hollywood celebrities, but he's done nothing because the consequences of what Arnold Schwarzenegger did back in 2006 or eight, I believe it was, won't be felt until five, seven years later. And now, of course, California is feeling the consequences as they face the highest energy prices and rolling blackouts and future blackouts to come. But it didn't have any consequence. So I think what's happened here is for decades, politicians in Europe and the United States were able to virtue signal to the green movement with no consequence. 2030, goal, 2025, this tipping point, we're going to do this, we're going to have net zero. It all sounded great pour concrete in the fracking wells. This is, we're serious about this. And then what happens? The chickens have come home to roost. And so my, my see, if you look at what's happened with the German, the German chancellor, I cannot remember his name, but he replaced Angela Merkel. You may have his name in front of you, but he just came out and reversed Germany's net zero policies and said, right now we're going to do oil, gas, uh, and all sorts of fossil fuel energy because we need it now. This is in our national security interest. So let's hope that this actually has a huge impact. I think it will in the midterms. I think the American people get it, but who knows? The way things are going with the rapidity we've seen, Joe Biden could be praising coal and gas and mm. uh, oil by the next yes. State of the Union address if this goes the way it could. It's funny, you talked earlier about Keystone and you know everyone says, well, it wouldn't have been pumping now. Yes. You know, that reminds me of the of Anwar uh, back in, was it, you know, in the early Bush yeah. years when Congress banned any drilling in Anwar. And, and it was in, in like 2002 or 2005, something like that. And they said, well, you know, there, there wouldn't be any drilling for 10 years anyway. Like, well, we'd, we'd be drilling now and we, yeah. you know, uh, we'd be getting oil and gas from Anwar uh, and uh, not needing it from Putin. So, I mean, this thing of, well, it wouldn't be drilling for five years or four years, like five years and four years come along. Um, and they do. And, and that's the thing. And again, this is energy. So you're looking at a whole pie with energy markets, trading and prices. So if you're opening up, here's the thing, just just imagine if for some reason Donald Trump was inaugurated or had won the presidency, was, was elected and his first day in office, say tomorrow, was to literally open up America. The price per barrel of oil would drop. The price at the pump would drop. Your home heating would drop just because it would send a signal to the marketplace. You cannot divorce that kind of the idea of a of a policy coming from up high, the federal government saying we're open for business energy wise to we're going to keep everything shut down because yeah. we have we have, we have to quote go green and let's cancel more pipelines. That's insane. And what's interesting here is people are all focused on how can we sanction Russia. It's time to lift the sanctions on American energy exploration, on European energy exploration. Until we get that through our politicians' heads, we're doomed. The problem now is Jen Psaki, climate activists are all doubling down. I saw this on CNN uh, last week, an article where they're all saying this is an incredible opportunity as our energy prices skyrocket. We can finally now go solar and wind, and we no longer have to rely. This is why we've said we needed to go solar and wind for years. The problem is solar and wind aren't there to take its place. And yeah. that's always yeah. been the problem. No matter how many billions of dollars we've spent, no matter how many tax credits, no matter how many subsidies, no matter how many uh, economic green stimuluses we give, yeah, you can make some things look successful for a couple of years, and then the mm -hmm. subsidies dry up and the companies go like Solyndra and others. Or you have a, a, a Texas scenario where uh, unseasonable freeze and uh, the, the wind turbines stop working and yes. people die.
So, and if you I, think, at- I think it's also I think it's also worth mentioning because um, I think sometimes you know because maybe somebody um, in a, a, a lunatic environmentalist is listening to this is to remember that the biggest problem with renewables I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong Mark is the fact that the battery situation has not been solved and that. Yes. You can't store the, the the energy so that while while wind, when it works and while solar, when it works, is brilliant and br- all, all kinds of great energy, yeah. they can't store it. That's the great thing about fossil fuels. It's basically um, inbuilt in it that it's actually a storage and it can be ramped up and ramped down whenever you need it. And I think I saw somewhere recently kind of an amazing statistic that the battery capacity sort of worldwide for renewables is something like minutes not even an hour, like it's like minutes is what they're able to store right now. So we are years away from being able to make this transition that everyone is lauding. And in the meantime, all these governments are making all these countries, all these places super, super vulnerable. They are, and they just keep doing it, whether it's your local town, state governors, US government, our bureaucracies, Europe, they all keep claiming these net zero goals. And you're absolutely right. What the absurdity is people who say, oh, we need you know, clean, green energy. Well, first of all, you need you know, diesel generators, gas backup. And uh, Michael Moore brilliantly did in his Planet of the Humans, his film, uh, where he showed the, 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 just the absurdity of these activists with, uh, I believe there were solar panels. And they, they literally, like the scene from The Wizard of Oz, they pulled back the curtain to show that this big media demonstration for their solar panels and green energy was all being powered with the backup Yep. Of, of the diesel generators and on the, well, on the, the power. Not, not to not, not to, to make this all about ourselves. But if you oh, yes. uh, exactly. back when we were back when yes. we were promoting not evil, just wrong. Franny Armstrong had a, a, a documentary out called The Age of Stupid. And she had the first green movie premiere in downtown Manhattan uh, yeah. where, you know, it was a zero, zero carbon. And like it was I w- walked, wandered through the 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 big set before the day before there was diesel generator after diesel generator yes. after diesel generator. Oh, and I was actually going to mention the other point is that in Ireland where, you know, where the, where the, where the Irish government in their, in their wisdom has made uh, people there extremely vulnerable to blackouts. You cannot buy a diesel generator for love nor money. They laughed at us at the local hardware store. They were like, there's not even, we're not even going to put you on a waiting list. Yeah, there's no order. You can't, you cannot, you cannot be put on a waiting list for a diesel generator in Ireland because they say it's dishonest because they can't they can't get they just them. can't they just can't keep up with well, that reminds me of the, in East Germany you remember you had to put your name on for an East German Trabant which was that's a right. horrible car but you had to wait decades for it that's, that's, what, that's, that's like what the, happens when you create shortages and you have politicians and your influence the lobbyists and ideologues make these goals it's just nuts and here's the thing we go back to the clean green just for a minute. A, it requires rare earth mining. This is now, I think, uh, estimates of for solar and wind, we get 90% of our solar panels from China. China is now going to be the world's, uh, essentially the world's monopoly, if you will, next to Russia for this rare earth mining. China's doing it in China with Uyghur slaves. They're also doing it in places like the Congo, where Amnesty International said they're using underage uh, labor. They're going deep in the earth to extract cobalt, other rare earth minerals, also electric car batteries for solar and wind panels. So we've essentially given up our energy independence and dominance, again, like I mentioned, for the first time since Harry Truman, in exchange for the virtue signaling, you know, feel good green, but that has real consequences of now relying on China for rare earth mining and the green energy, relying on OPEC for more oil. We had the the disgusting scene of the Biden administration last summer in 2021 begging OPEC to increase oil production. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
And then, you know, of course, then we're more dependent on uh, Russian oil, 11 year high last year in terms of Russian oil imports. And that probably has gone up this year. I haven't seen the latest stat on, the, on, on that. But this is the reality of green energy. And it goes yes. back to the point, Anne, can people wake up? Could it be like a defund the police, you know, moment of clarity? I don't know, but that's our job to try to help the public. Well, it might, it, some, you know, something yeah. might happen when uh, even to crazy Californians where they're now looking at like numbers that have, they've never seen numbers like this, nearly cl close to $7 at the pump here. Uh, one other point I just wanted to mention there when you mentioned rare earth, because I always, I always want to mention this point because again, if people should know this for that, for that relative that you have who is annoying you in, incessantly about their green energy and renewables. Yeah. Why is it, um, and I, I, I know the answer, but I'll let you answer it. Why is it that all the rare earth is being mined in, in yeah. China when there are, there are big yes. deposits of rare earth here, but we don't mine them. And why is that now, Mark? I, I'm glad you asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> in 1998, I did an investigative report on the Mali Core mine in outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. It was actually in the Mojave Desert. And they, what they mined was a rare earth element called lanthanide, which is actually used in our catalytic converters. This mine was shut down by, I think it was 27 or 29 different federal agencies for all sorts of environmental uh, concerns. But you know what got them in the end was they found a desert tortoise, which was allegedly oh. endangered. Now, hold on. The tortoise as a species isn't endangered, but what the environmental groups do and our government and the BLM, and I'm not talking about Black Lives Matter, but the Bureau of Land Management, the federal agency, they get a species and at the end of their natural habitat where they're gonna thin out, which is where the Mali Kor mine was in the Mojave Desert, that's where they say they're regionally endangered. So it wasn't actually an endangered species. They actually interviewed a herpetologist in Nevada who said, no, these aren't endangered, but where the mine is that they're regionally endangered, meaning they're at the edge of their habitat where you would expect less numbers. So they shut the mine down. We went and we interviewed a man named Ouija Ku, who represented the Chinese mine. He was based in San Francisco, but he was you know, the mine was in China. He actually laughed on camera to us and he said, yeah, Mali Kor is closing down. And he said, actually, that we don't have the same environmental standards in China. We don't have to worry about those kind of rules. We can mine and, and do that. So now China is going to take over. This was back in the 90s where China was on the, you know, people didn't really see him as a threat and they didn't have their messaging down. This guy was bragging about how the U.S. mine for rare earth elements were being shut down and how China was ready to step in and step in they did we are getting the, the problem is china russia iran opec venezuela they're not going to follow the same environmental standards we have the cleanest us canada europe the cleanest highest environmental standards in the world israel which would have been the east med pipeline but we're the ones shutting down and we're making all of us the collectively free west now dependent on these you know conflict regions or rogue regimes whatever word you want to um, and this is where we are in 2022. And, and, not, and, and on top of all that as well, places that really couldn't give a crap about environmental standards. No, um, that's the whole point. Yeah. Here's the thing. People say, well, why is this happening? And just to do a larger point, this isn't the unintended consequences of green policies. I believe what we're seeing in the U.S., with these higher prices is the intended yeah. consequences yeah. of yeah. green energy policies. Mm -hmm. You go mm -hmm. back to John Holdren in the 1970s, who said the U.S. had too much energy too soon. He lamented people hopping in their car to go get a six pack of beer and drive home from the supermarket. This goes back to Obama's first energy secretary, Stephen Chu, who said he wanted European style gas prices in the United States. 
guess what? We got it. This goes back to Obama saying he wanted uh, electricity prices to necessarily skyrocket. This goes back currently to Joe Biden's current energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, in 2018, did a video with your old friend Bill McKibben, the climate activist, saying this is the end of gasoline. We have to keep it in the ground because the world is aflame due to global warming. She sang, performed in it, laughed, joked. This was her video. This is our energy secretary. This is by, the way, and by the way, that secretary, energy. that same secretary is the woman who was asked uh, quite recently, I think you probably saw that. She was asked, you know, well, what, you know, um, like how much energy is being, you know, how much oil is produced every day in America? And she was like, yeah, I don't know those numbers right now. But is she I, also the same one who got in a private jet during COVID and went to, went off on a vacation? Well, the rest of her state. I don't know that. Oh, no, that was, was her husband. Uh, you know, anyway, I think she's got some private jet uh, issues. I think she doesn't know an awful lot about energy, but then I think an awful lot of people don't know an awful lot about, about, about energy. But I'll tell you one thing. They're getting quite the education right now. Um, well, here's the other thing. On the same vein, and I, 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 I did this story, but I guess it was last August. The Washington Post in August did an article that had Ronald Reagan never been elected. In other words, that Jimmy Carter had a second term. And this was their exact quote. There'd be no climate crisis today. They said that Jimmy Carter was a visionary about wind and solar and green energy, and that he was, had he had a second term, we could have avoided the climate crisis. Now, keep in mind that you've seen the charts that show every UN conference since the 1970s, CO2 continues to do this, despite all the planet saving agreements that they have, nothing they've done has ever impacted CO2, number one. But number two is this gives you an idea where the media and academic elite are. The Washington Post believes that President Jimmy Carter's one term in office from 1977 to 1981 was a model of how if only he had another term, we could have solved the climate crisis. If you go back to 1977 to 1981, Jimmy Carter's one and only term, you had rapid inflation, skyrocketing energy prices, energy crisis in America. You had America projecting weakness in the world. You had foreign policy crisis. It's frightening. They're, they must be loving Joe Biden, the Washington Post, the media, academia. This is what their vision is. They're finally getting Jimmy Carter's second term. And in their mind, somewhere they must think we must win. This time we'll be able to solve the climate crisis. Darn that Jimmy Carter didn't win a second term and Ronald Reagan did. But at least we have Joe Biden. And that's what they're that's where we are right now. I'm not making it up. Your listeners, can, your Viewers can actually go check the Washington Post. Okay, Mark, I think that's uh, us finished for today. We could talk a lot. We could talk a lot more, but uh, it's um, it's it's good to get this out here. And uh, you're right. Maybe this is the this is the, the wake up call. This is the defund the police. The green movements defund the police moment. You know. Yeah, that's my um, hope. And, and just the other last thing I was going to say is John Kerry will say climate is a the greatest national security threat we face. They can find some generals to say the same thing. First of all, they're wrong. History has shown that cooler periods are actually uh, have more conflict, resource scarcity, of and course, more wars. And then warmer periods were called climate optimums, less war, less you know, resource scarcity. Yeah. But here's the thing. Their climate and energy policies are the greatest national security threat we face. And we're living it right now in yes. real time. I think I said that in, in last week's podcast. You know, Zelensky, he, he may need ammunition, but, but what, I, what he really needs is gas, not from Russia. What, what Germany needs is gas, not from Russia. These, they don't need American arms. They need American gas, natural gas. If, or they need their own natural gas. If they had that, they'd, need, they'd be less, a lot less need for ammunition. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, I think we'll thank be talking you. again soon, I hope. Thanks, Mark. Right. Thank you, Thanks, Andy. Mark. All the best.
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're going to learn. I wonder is this is this the moment when when the Greens learn when when the elites learn or are they just going to keep make as as somebody says the definition of insanity doing the same thing again and again hoping you get a different result. So talking of Ukraine and Russia, we received some criticism criticism last week. Um, A lot of our fans think we were somehow too sympathetic to the Ukrainian side in the conflict or didn't understand the the nuances of it. Um, Let's just say, first of all, our job uh, is not to be sympathetic to one side or or the other. And I wish a lot of journalists in the corporate and mainstream and conservative and liberal media would remember that. Or maybe they never knew that. Our job, in fact, is to show you what this information is. Our job is to show you what the truth is. Our job is to go and give you context. Our job is to interview people like Mark Morano and see how how you can stop people invading other countries, how your policy might contribute to that. We lived for seven years as journalists in Romania. We've covered stories in Romania, Bulgaria, Moldova. We've traveled in the area as far apart as we were in Moscow. We're in Uzbekistan. We were in stands that you never knew existed. We're in China. Uh, yeah, China. China. So we've, and this is all, we were all very much concerned about the environmental movement and energy in, in those trips so we do know a lot about the area um and we do know and i just want to look at some of the arguments that people are making saying you know russia's not the bad guy here and ukraine's uh ukraine's actually the bad guy you know that's simplifying their arguments but the, the, some of their arguments are like for example and there was a uh, let's put up a picture there was a protest on venice beach by the lefties uh, at the weekend uh, it's all NATO's fault for expanding, and that's uh, from the right-wing uh, community too. That's a big uh, line: is that NATO expanding it has provoked Putin, and uh, that that that's the cause of the Ukrainian invasion. Look, the reality is, if you spend any time in Eastern Europe, you will know that that there would be no need for NATO if there was no Russian imperialism. The history of these East European countries. Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, U- Ukraine, boom, boom, Ukraine, Poland, Poland uh, all of these countries, Romania, Bulgaria, is invasion after invasion from Russia. Uh, and in the years that they weren't being invaded by Russia, they were invaded by Germany, uh, so uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. But mostly the big enemy of these countries, of, of their uh, self-determination, was uh, Russia. I... I'm a big fan of Lord Palmerston. I read a lot of biographies. He was kind of the the Churchill of the 1800s in Britain. And one of the one of his biggest problems was, you know, Pol- dashing Polish cavalry officers coming to London, demanding that the British uh, intervene in, 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 against the latest Russian invasion of Poland. So this has been going on. There, so there would be no need for NATO. There, there would be North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Who who are they? What was NATO set up for? It wasn't yes. to stop yeah, China. Was, and, was it wasn't stop China invading uh, invading the south of France, or it wasn't to stop uh, you know uh, Australia from invading Poland, or uh, you know or Venezuela from attacking the Ukraine. It it was an organization to stop Russian aggression in Eastern Europe and Western Europe. And at the time it was set up, Russia controlled uh, hundreds of millions of people. And, and, you know, one thing you do not want to be in this world is under Russian control. And if Russia, by the way, if Russia was a free economy, there'd be no need for Russian imperialism because 
the economy would expand itself. The, the reason, you know, part of the reason they're going to the Ukraine is because of its natural resources, because this is what countries that are not free, that do not have functioning economies do. They, they, they take the resources of other countries. Imperialism stopped pretty much, you know, okay, there's a bit of an overlap, but imperialism became less fashionable when the world economies opened up and capitalism took over. So there's another argument. Russia is an ally against China. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Um, Europe needs to get off its addiction to Russian oil and gas. But if it does, Russia needs a market for its oil and gas. And its nearest big neighbor that could consume oil and gas is a place called China. China. And China needs energy. So the pipelines will just be redirected and it'll be China. And Russia will not want to be an ally uh, of the West against China. And by the way, if you ever spent any time in Moscow... I was explaining there earlier, Moscow, it's like Manhattan. It's this great, great, great city in the center of this great, great country. And the people there are very, very proud and they behave like they are a superpower. And, you know, they are not going to be an ally against China. They are going to plow their own furrow. So they will not be our ally against China. Um, And... I suppose you got to ask why are conservatives so skeptical of supporting the Ukraine or see, not not even supporting the Ukraine, but seeing Russia as an aggressor in this war. And, you know, it's because the mainstream media, and I appreciate this, the mainstream media has been lying to you for 50 years. And I think I spoke to Molly Hemingway there of the Federalist and of uh, Fox News the other day. And she says, you know, it's wrong to call them mainstream media because the views of mainstream journalists in the mainstream media are not mainstream. Yeah. Like they are five or 10 percent of, 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 of what America believes. So, you know, for example, the mainstream media or the corporate media, they peddled this lie about Russian collusion during the Trump years. It mm-hmm. was a complete lie. They also peddled the lie that Brexit was a Russian-funded uh, operation, trying to ignore the the very real feelings against the European Union in, in working-class Britain. And then that was reflected then when, when they, they all turned and supported Boris Johnson's Conservative Party for the first time in literally hundreds of years in the last election. So there was no Russia collusion with Trump. There was no Russia collusion for Brexit. But the media peddled it and peddled it. They've been telling lies about Russia for a decade now. And uh, surprise, surprise, a mainstream media, when you then try and convince conservatives that this is an act of aggression by Russia towards Ukraine, they will be sceptical. So it's not, you know, I, I, we're not sympathetic to one side or the other, but we've got to call out the facts. Um, uh, but we do understand why many, many people are sceptical about the mainstream narrative coming out of Ukraine. And there's a lot of misinformation coming out of Ukraine from the Ukrainian side. But it's not actually misinformation. It's kind of propaganda. And, you know, and, and that's understandable almost in some ways. All nations at war have propaganda. And I suppose the the you have to be very careful to distinguish between propaganda and misinformation. So one's a lie. The other is a heartwarming story, possibly exaggerated to evoke an emotional reaction. And, you know, you probably try and avoid the emotional reactions. It's very difficult but um, as journalists, we're going to keep trying to parse the truth uh, from the propaganda, from the misinformation, and that's all we're going to do. And, you know, that sort of brings, talking about emotion, it brings me on to uh, um, what I want to talk about today. It, you know, it's the, this anti-Russian uh, 
weird anti-Russian uh, hysteria that's sweeping America and Europe and the world actually at the moment. You know, and it's it, it's this is this time it's different. I think the cancel culture has a lot to do with this. People are now yeah. Social media has made it has made it easier for this to happen. Yeah, but there was also this. There was there was already a a a, a, a pro uh, a what was the thing a roadmap for cancelling individuals right so it's it's previous i mean the world i mean the world has been on fire before we had the cold war we had vietnam we had invasions but it's very very rare for sporting federations per se to be punished when their country misbehaves normally what happens is countries boycott events such as the olympics you know countries used to say our athletes are not going to the moscow olympics in 1980 and then russia boycotted the u.s olympics the next time but this crisis is different you know and this is like this is an anti-russian hysteria countries and their people are prone to Hysteria, hysterical reactions against countries that they're uh, the war of. Just ask the Sachs Coburg, just ask the Sachs Coburg Gotha family. And uh, mm-hmm. who is the Sachs, Mag? Did you know who the Sachs Coburg Gotha family are? I know. Because I've written it here. Queen Elizabeth. Yes. So the, so the, the royal family, the British, are, as we used to say, the, the British royal family in the Irish news, because we, we couldn't say the royal family. The British royal family. The British royal family. Yeah, they were Germans. And, uh, they were their their family name was Saxe Coburg Gotha because you can never have a simple name when you're a member of the aristocracy. Uh, their name was Saxe Coburg Gotha, and in 1917 they changed it to Windsor, the House of Windsor, because of anti-German sentiment sweeping the UK. You know, and you know you can understand that, and that's a fam- that was a family decision, and and also it wasn't attacking anyone. Then you know, then you had America interning people of Japanese descent after the unprovoked attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, you know, nowadays these reactions are seen as overreactions and America has even apologized for mm-hmm. those internments. But it's important to remember, right, that these countries were at war with each other, right? America was at war with Japan. Pearl Harbor, which was an unannounced massacre of people in Pearl Harbor. And then Britain was at war with Germany in 1917. And the funny thing about the First World War is people believed the stories of German atrocities, even though they weren't true. And the Second World War, nobody believed the stories of German atrocities, even though they were true. It's an interesting historical fact. But but with this Russian invasion of the Ukraine, we're in completely new territory. I mean, it's kind of mad. FIFA has banned Russia from the 2022 World Cup. So, so rather, this, that's unprecedented. They've never barred China. They've never barred any African country that's involved in a war with its neighbors, and there's been many of them. Uh, there are the worst uh, dictatorships in the world. I mean, they're having the, uh, the the World Cup in 2022, aren't they? Having it in the UAE or some other Didn't paragon they, of, did, of, of... Sorry, of, did they not just have the Winter Olympics in China? Yeah. So, you know, no problem at all there. So the Russian Formula One Grand Prix was cancelled and, you know, Russia and Belarus are being banned from volleyball, figure skating, they chess even, they and even, badminton. And they even, they even banned the Russian and Belarusian athletes from the Paralympics, by the way, one day before the Games banned, began. Banned, banned. They didn't ban Russian athletes for widespread doping in Olympics, but because their government, which, you know, is not really a democracy, invaded, it's not like they can unelect Vladimir Putin, invaded another country, they're suffering. And then, I mean, probably this is an act of mercy, 
Mercy, but Eurovision organizers. Eurovision organizers and Eurovision is a competition, a singing competition in Europe, which is um, kind of, it's kind of a bit of a joke, but anyway. Singing the, competition is stretching it. Anyway, yes, they've, they've banned They've Russian. banned it from Russian. And from, in the ultimate. Well, I think this one's extraordinary and I know a lot of people will really feel the hurt of this one. The United Nations of Cat Federations has banned Russian cats from its competitions. Federation Internationale Finale, Filine, an international cat federation with members in about 40 countries, is banning Russian cats from its competitions for the next three months joining the growing global backlash against Russia's invasion of Ukraine the Kennel Club film the organiser of Crufts show has also banned in the light of, here's what Crufts have said, in the light of rapidly evolving circumstances, it was a heavy heart that we have taken the decision not to allow exhibitors from mm-hmm. Russia to compete at Crufts. Mm-hmm. Sainsbury's, I thought this was very intelligent though. Sainsbury's, which is a very big grocery store in the UK, is changing the name of its ki- Chicken Kiev to Chicken Kiev and is joining Waitrose, Aldi and Morrison's in withdrawing a Russian-made vodka from the shelves in the latest action by British retailers. Do you know what this reminds me of? This whole it reminds me. So, if you ever saw the movie Starship Troopers, and well, I'll play the clip now. You know, there's a kind of a prop, a silly propaganda bit in the middle of it, showing how people are uniting against the bugs, and you've got these kids stamping on. But let's play that clip now. Everyone's doing their part. Are you? The war effort needs your effort at work, at home, in your community. I mean, that's meant as a joke, but then Sainsbury's are, are pouring Russian-made vodka down, uh, down a drain and changing the name of, of Chicken Kiev, which is a very nice uh, garlic uh, chicken meat dish. You should, you should cook it's it. Very 80s, by the way. Very 80s. I would say more 70s. Um, uh, you know, th- this is crazy. And then you've got, the, of course, the tech companies, because they're, they're such good people, you know. They're, they're, they're joining the bandwagon. These, these elites are they're such... There's, there's no one capable of independent thought or no one capable of, of standing up to a mob. This is mob. You know, and it's by no means a defence of Vladimir Putin and by no means a defence of the invasion of Ukraine, which is exactly what it is, and it's the invasion of a sovereign nation. Uh, but, you know, Apple is stopping all sales of iPhones, uh, MacBooks and Apple products in Russia. Facebook, Meta, Twitter, Google, Alphabet and Netflix uh, and Netflix is cancelling its TV shows and new series. So let's punish artists and actors. You Spotify know? closed its Moscow offices. So that's yes. the end of music for the for the Russians. And Joe Rogan. Uh, Volkswagen has stopped its operations in Russia. General Ford, uh, have, um, Ford, General Motors, Ford, BMW, Mercedes-Benz have stopped all exports to Russia. It goes on and on. Uh, aircraft leasing firms have to I get I thought this was an interesting one, actually. The aircraft leasing firms are set to terminate hundreds of leases with Russian airlines following Western sanctions. So basically... Um, it's, it's interesting, actually, a lot of these planes are leased by a company called Aircap, which is out of Dublin, which is an Irish company. But the European Union on Sunday gave leasing companies until March the 28th to wind up current rental contracts in Russia, which I don't know what exactly happens there because those aircrafts are owned. They're owned by this Irish company. And, and also there's a French company involved as well. I don't know. Can they get the can Will they get the planes back? But the energy situation as well is extraordinary. ExxonMobil abandoned a four billion dollar oil and gas project uh, Shell ditched its stakes yeah. and left major yeah. gas uh, and by the way BP quit Russia with a 25 billion dollar hit which the shareholders have to obviously um, carry that right yeah and but this is then it, you know cats and dogs obviously you know we were, we feel for them but then it gets it gets really really 
worrying when you know when when they move on to individuals and this is what they're doing now i mean the level of of businesses pulling out of russia is unprecedented for two for countries that are not at war with each other but that's businesses they can do what they want i suppose um you know and it asks the question what happens when china invades taiwan what are we going to do then are we going to stop Basically, China makes everything that we use. Well, I mean, for, I mean on, on the on the simplest level and the, the most frightening one, yeah, that happens. So China invades Taiwan, and we decide we're not going to buy anything from China. Yeah. So that's the end of every drug that is being manufactured in the world. Basically, ninety eight percent of them is that's every drug that everyone is taking here in the United States across Europe. That every last thing for for heart for cancer, all of it comes from China. So that's pretty dramatic stuff, well, right? The president has been said. Let's see if the if the you know Russia is not vital to anyone's needs, I suppose, uh, except if you're. Uh, standing, trying to keep your house keep your warm house warm so in, Par- in so France. they can they can pull out of Russia but then the, the madness continues and gets worse because they're bringing cal- can- this cancel culture now to a whole people to individuals who just happen to have the wrong nationality and won't apologize for that nationality and won't say exactly what the Western elites want, want them, them to, to say, say about and the Putin. example one of the examples is this Anna Netbet Nanette Bretko, who is out at the at the Met Opera, and by the way, this is Anna Nabretko who has said, by the way, who's publicly said, "I am opposed to this senseless war of aggression, and I'm calling on Russia to end this war right now to save all of us. We need pe- peace right now. Not enough. Yeah, that's not enough for the. Well, as, as, and then you know? no, I mean, the Guardian put it very clearly. There's a Valerie Gergiev who was the uh, conductor of the Munich Philharmonic or- uh, Opera, Munich Philharmonic Orchestra. Orchestra. Uh, the, the headline is, Denounce Putin or lose your job. <laughs> uh, Russian conductor Valery Gergiev uh, is given a public ultimatum. And these people have lost their jobs. And there's, and there's more of this happening. Uh, there's a guy losing his job as a, a, a Russian Formula One driver losing his job. And, you know, they're talking about not employing Russian uh, sports stars etc look all i will say to these the, the people who are firing these people is the names sergey and yulia skirtball now you may not know who they are right and most people don't know who they are but they are the father and daughter who uh who angered putin and lived in salisbury in the cathedral city of salisbury in, in the united England, kingdom in the united kingdom which is about as far away from russia as you can get but not not when, when you not anger, far enough. not far enough. Putin sent two poisoners over there, uh, and he it was Novichuk and put poison on their door handle or on a perfume bottle and killed both of these people. Um, you know what these artists need to say to these board members and to these chief executives and, and all that is: I'll condemn Putin when you go to Moscow and stand in Red Square with a "Stop the War." Or an anti-Putin sign. Oh yeah, let's see how brave you are. Or, then. or yeah. move your family there. Look, these yeah. these opera singers have families there. These this the, these conductors they have families in Russia. If they condemn Putin the way these people demand they condemn Putin, their family is in mortal danger. This is a man who killed uh, Russian killed Russians who were now British citizens living in the UK. Do you think he's not going to? exact revenge against the family of a conductor or a, a member of an opera in the in, in new york of course he is so so head of the board of the met and head of the board of the munich philharmonic orchestra move your family to russia stand in red square with a sign because you sound so brave you yeah. sound so brave or are you just happy to condemn uh, to demand bravery from others the kind of bravery that you would not 
do yourself. Can I bring another little point in here that I, I would like, I'd like to ask you the question, Phelan, because I just think it's extraordinary. So Italy um, and France, by the way, have seized um, super yachts from these oligarchs, from these Russian oligarchs. Um, and we've seen, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, hugely expensive yachts that have been, that have been yep. seized. So I don't know, Phelan, but uh, so is that... A thing then how do you do how does that work in law by the way so yeah. yesterday so a no, few weeks ago see, see, you don't what understand, do I, I don't understand, you don't understand right so people it's, who, it's a technical yes. term okay. right what's it called it? now called illegal anyone out there who, who thinks it's great and look this is basically social justice warriors in government yes seizing yachts right because we can just seize that now no, but they love they, they they hate these yachts because oh, yeah. of the inequality they you know that it, and this is conspicuous consumptions they hate these yachts so they're not seizing companies belonging to these russian billionaires think about it it would just be easier to go because they're all registered at companies house the government now i know they're freezing some bank accounts and freezing this but you no know, they're making a big thing about seizing yachts so it's performative social justice warriors in governments and many Many of them are conservative governments. And let me tell you people out there who support this. Uh, when be the, careful. You be careful because they're coming for the oligarchs' yachts now. But, you know, as we saw in Canada, they will freeze the bank accounts of truckers. They will seize the trucks of truckers. I mean, what's what's more important to, to a person? To, if you have 15 billion, uh, is a $500 million yacht important to you? Yes, it's important. Will it, will it change your life? No. If you're a trucker, and you and you have a truck worth two hundred thousand dollars. That's your life savings, and the government sees that. So, it, so you're now allowing the government to seize everything, every significant asset of everyone. If you don't, uh, and all these oligarchs, by the way, to get their money back is to condemn Putin. And it's like, yeah, but that's forced speech. Mm-hmm. That is for you're forcing. This is this is Stalin-esque, actually. This is if you go on TV and give a public confession of your misdeeds and your sins, uh, you will be forgiven. By the way, Stalin didn't forgive you; then executed you. And we've seen, by the way, with cancel culture, apologizing does not stop the canceling. Apologizing just accelerates the pylon. So anyone who's told if you just condemn Putin. Uh, and we will you'll get your job back don't believe it uh, there's no record for it and anyone who supports the seizure of these yachts or uh, trophy homes in london they're coming for you next and you've just given them a roadmap and talking of talking of china talking of china yeah <laughs> that's very good yes. i like that little segue there film so the recipe this week is Asian chopped salad which i uh, you know what i was thinking i just was thinking about this this morning i was thinking you know, me calling it, me making an Asian chopped salad. Is that like cultural appropriation by, by part film? I, I don't know if I'm allowed to make a, a, an Asian chopped salad I think the, not being I from think the, there and I all. I think the implication that Asians chop things is kind of racist. There you go. So, as I said, when at the beginning, this... This salad is really, really nice. I really highly recommend it. However, it does have an awful lot of uh, ingredients. For the dressing, we have soy sauce, mm-hmm. brown rice mm-hmm. vinegar, sesame oil, not toasted, honey, vegetable oil, and then we had, oh yeah, of course I should say, ginger and garlic. And that all went in here and was blended uh-huh. into this nice sauce. Will it blend? We've got some carrot down here. We're adding to that kale, red cabbage, nicely chopped, red peppers, red pepper, yellow pepper, 
then we have spring onions, which we've also chopped. And then we have edamame. And then coriander leaves. Not chopped up? No, no, no. And sesame seeds. And we're gonna mix that first. Mm -hmm. Look at the colors. Look at the gorgeous colors. It's actually looking like hers, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Look at those colors. So I'm just gonna do this. With this good stuff. And then just before serving, add the, uh, the peanuts. Really, really nice uh, salad. As we said at the beginning of the program, we needed to up our salad game. This is really upping your salad game, by the way. Really, really nice. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Um, we've come to the end of the show. Yeah. Um, thank you for all the really nice messages. We've got a lot of really nice messages, including from you, um, Kathy Claus, getting on very well still in Texas. Mm -hmm. And yes, we we will be probably coming to visit you one of these days, actually, because I think yes, we've we'll, we've more news on all of that. Um, mm -hmm. um, but lots of messages also saying that they've really enjoyed last week's program, particularly yes. because of the information about uh, the Ukrainian energy situation, the European energy situation. Right. Uh, we got a lot of very good supportive messages on that, so I think you'll probably enjoy today with Mark Morano. We're mm -hmm. really grateful to him. Not only is Mark like an expert, by the way, on all of this, he's a really dear friend of ours. Him and his wife so we just love them um and that's it from us we are obviously still working on the movie um and we'll have news of that coming up if you want to support us please go to mysonhunter.com mysonhunter.com the film looks amazing yes um and for those of you saying get the film out get that film out right now it's a process there's music being composed the you know you have to do stuff with sound you've got to do stuff with color it isn't an instant process but we are going to get it out as quickly as possible and we have a second very important um, project. project that we're that we're also going to talk about very very soon and i think you're going to be really happy with that but for now thank you so much for tuning in please please leave um Leave leave um, a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere where you're getting your podcast mm -hmm. and give us a five-star rating. It matters a great deal to us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.